0: The talk you are about to hear is by Roshi Amala Ripson, teacher at the Auckland Zen Center. is day two of our spring seven-day session, it's the 3rd of September 2023, Uh, we're going to continue a reading from Throw Yourself into the House of the Buddha, the Life and Zen Teachings on Tangan Harada Roshi. This chapter we'll be reading out from first is called Wartime. Then the war began. We were told by the government that Japan was in real danger. We had to fight against enemies who were portrayed by military propaganda as if they were devils themselves. Um, if you've seen any of these, this imagery, they the actual, uh, actually are, the enemy is portrayed as, as a kind of devil and like cartoonish characters. And we know, we know from more recent um, history that these these uh, images can be very, very powerful. My personal perspective, my perspective was severely limited. Now we last, yesterday we were hearing of these transcendent experiences that um, Usao, future Tangan Roshi, um, had. And yet, at the same time, he could have a lot of ignorance about the world and certainly uh, ignorance about what was really happening in uh, Imperial Japan at that time. I had the sense that I must give my own life to protect those close to me, my parents, my siblings, my teachers, my friends, my fellow countrymen. I was still bound tied down by a false sense of place attached to boundaries to us versus them i believe that there was an enemy yet i didn't have a sense of wanting to kill or to save my own life i just wanted to give my life to protect others so this you can see in in this this mixture of of ignorance about what was really going on politically and um, innocence of of this this pure-hearted desire to um, give give his life in order to protect others i volunteered to fly as a kamikaze pilot my goal in life was already to be of service to others suppose sparing my own life was not a factor for me i gave myself to the training that was required there's a, there's a kind of footnote to this, this uh, account, on this part of this account, about um, Uzao. at that time. He was 17 years old when Japan joined World War II. Um, in the later stages of war, as was true for every man aged 15 to 60, he had to join the army. He wasn't yet a monk then, nor even a Buddhist. When asked later in life if he would ever go to war, he immediately replied, no, I am definitely opposed to war. After I began to practice, I came to see that all beings are brothers and sisters and that even if one were to be killed, one should not kill another. That this, at this stage, he, he didn't have this understanding. Um, Technathan, when he was asked about would he, whether he would fight in order to preserve Buddhism, he he would say said that he would rather see the Dharma destroyed, physical, and um, teachings and so forth. He'd rather see those destroyed than to take up arms in order to defend the Dharma, because of of course, if one does that, if one kills, one's no longer practicing the Dharma. So one's actually destroying the Dharma through through doing that. The test was very difficult. This is the test to become a pilot. Geared as it was for university graduates, but I was somehow able to pass. I was only 19, the youngest one in my company. The training was very strict. They didn't give us any leeway at all. The slightest mistake and we were out. They were not worried about the human life involved, but they wanted to protect the airplanes. So to get their license, you had to be extremely careful. We had to line up in front of the military officers r- responsible for our training, and I was, I was asked, what is your weak point? I answered that I was prone to act on my own authority, to decide on my own to do something and to do it. That's not a shortcoming, I was told. When the control stick is in your hand, any number of things can happen, and you will have to be able to decide and react immediately. You won't have any time to consult anyone else. You must act on your own authority, so it's a strength, they said. Then they asked me what my strength was. Acting with resolve, I said. When I commit to doing something, I don't back down or get discouraged midway. I definitely carry through with my goal. But now I see that that wasn't much of a strength, because not knowing what's right, you can carry through with the wrong aim. I see now that not wanting to listen to good advice, if there is any available, is ridiculous. Having the right goal is so important. Having the right goal. And if one looks deeply, then becoming a kamikaze pilot is not the the goal of destruction of many lives. was not an appropriate one. We all wrote our last words which were carefully folded, wrapped, and carried by the commander of our battalion. I wrote that I was ready to die for my country at any time, that even knowing I might die in training, I felt no remorse. We trained hard, finishing in just one year a course that it should have taken much longer. We were up against a large, strong country with powerful weaponry. Our hastily and poorly built planes were no match in combat for their fine ones. So our battalion was moved to Manchuria, where the pilots would wait for their orders to fly from there. One by one, the pilots would board airplanes loaded with explosives, take off and aim for large ships. If just one would hit right, a large aircraft carrier with 100 or so planes could be sunk in one blow. There were the, that was what we were studying to do. It was only 5 days after my graduation, August the 15th, 1945, that I was supposed to take my final flight. The other pilots went before me, giving their lives, and I waited my turn. Since I was the youngest, our commander was keeping me last in line. I had my ritual sake cup. Just then, just when I was on the verge of setting off, We heard the Emperor on the radio announcing the unconditional surrender of Japan and the end of the war. I couldn't believe my ears. I was devastated because I was not able to do anything to protect my country. Later, we learned that we had been deceived by our leaders and that it was Japan who was the aggressor. I was shocked. All my comrades had given their lives and here I was, still alive, but to what purpose? Nothing made sense to me. It was then that I tasted the bitter pain of living. I suffered the anguish of being alive when so many were dead. Not not only was his reason for being at that point taken away and that he wasn't going to fulfill his mission, but he was suffering also from what might be described as kind of survivor guilt. Japan surrendered on August 15th. If the war had ended even one day later, I would have flown my final flight and I wouldn't have been able to meet the teachings of the Buddha Dharma in this lifetime. So, again, like with his mother, this this sharp sense of what am I here for? Why have I been spared? He continues, I was in the 24th company, which is the number of Jizo. The Bodhisattva must have followed me right into the army because I was saved many times over. When the war ended, I was sent to a Soviet prisoner of war camp for almost a year. Many of my friends died there. I was working in the hospital and we had to bury the dead, yet the ground was so frozen that we couldn't. So many soldiers died there, most of them in their 20s, dreaming of their homelands and their families. Then one day, one of the Soviet soldiers asked me to drink alcohol with him. He wouldn't take no for an answer, so I had no choice but to join him. Since I was so weak, and almost never drank alcohol before, and had almost never drunk alcohol before, I got very sick and was left in bed <clears throat> in the hospital. The next morning, most of my fellow soldiers were sent to the labor camps in Siberia, where most of them died. Just on the brink of death, again, my life was miraculously spared. I was taken care of. So another, another narrow escape. My life was spared over and over, and yet I couldn't rejoice in this. I couldn't appreciate it, not yet. I felt only anguish and despair. Those who had died, was their death in vain? Did they die and that was it? What is the meaning of life? These questions stayed with me. They took over my mind and I had to find out what I could do, what was in my own power to do, to somehow, in some way, Make it up to all those young men who had given their lives. I returned to Japan on a boat that arrived at the port of Hakata on Kyushu Island on June 9, 1946. Chapter is headed, Meeting Dayan Roshi. I spent the next year in suffering. Just at that time of greatest pain and anguish, a concerned friend arranged for me to see a Buddhist nun. Her name was Sozan Nagasawa Roshi, and she was the top female disciple of Sogakao Harada Roshi. There's a footnote. Sozen Nagasawa Roshi, who dates are 1888 to 1971. She received Dharma transmission and Inka Shomei's um, confirmation as a as a teacher from Sogaku Harada Roshi. She was the only female teacher in the Soto school at the time to independently cheat, teach at a training monastery for nuns. Kanonji. She also played a major role in nuns gaining equal rights to monks in the Soto school. Um, as Sazan Nakagawa Roshi, she's in our uh, pool of radiance chant that we that we do, uh, which has the the names of the, many of the the female practitioners going back through the the centuries back to before the Buddha um, I would love to learn more about her uh, since she's in our, in our lineage and um, and also was a pioneer in, in getting more equality for the Sōtō nuns um, It be wonderful if somebody could track down some of her teachings and translate them into English She's, um, she's, you could say she's our main, most recent female ancestor, our uh, Dharma great-aunt, We could say. But anyway, she had an important role, played an important role here in um, helping out Tangan. Usao, is the lay lay name. She told me that there was a very wise man that I could take my my questions to, someone who could help me find the answer, to help me understand the meaning of life. She arranged for me to attend the November Sishin at Hoshinji. That's really throwing somebody in the deep end. But because I wanted to go sooner than that, she told me to come and sit with her uh, October session at her zendo in Kanonji in the town of Mitaka near Tokyo, which I remember she described as more like a hut, so pretty, pretty basic it sounds like. But he was, he was so fired up that he jumped at the offer. When I first met Sozen Roshi, I knew nothing about Buddhism and I wasn't even particularly interested in it. But thanks to that meeting and to her, I was able to connect with the Buddha Dharma. At Sishin, Sozen Roshi showed me to sit the lotus in the, in the lotus position. Zazen is sitting full lotus. Zazen equals full lotus, I was told. So I jammed my legs into a full lotus posture, and the pain was intense. I was in hell for 30 minutes. I was in hell after 30 minutes. Now, you need a big, big um, warning uh, statement here. Uh, Don't try this at home. I think it's um, fair to say that at that time in Japan, most people if not all people, grew up sitting on the floor and so they they uh, were much more flexible than people who sit in chairs and uh, in chairs. Um, If we tried to, I think most of us if we tried to um, how does he put it, Jam his legs into a full lotus posture. We'd be doing serious damage immediately, and um, it wouldn't be helpful at all. For young Tangan, it seems like he was able to do this without causing any any um, permanent damage, though uh, certainly plenty of pain, which we can imagine. It's not hard to imagine he says he says the pain ran through my body as if my legs were sawed off at the knees one minute was eternity but what an incredibly good thing it was that i practiced as i was instructed without trying to sneak away from it fortunately i was told to count my breaths so in desperation at the pain he threw himself into his breath counting and he relates that at, at this temple, Sazen Roshi's temple, there was a, uh, a practice of um, counting aloud. Now you can imagine what that would make the Zendo like. <laughs> if it was happening in a hut, it was probably quite small. Um, maybe, we don't know, but maybe 15 or 20 people. But imagine that, all, all of them counting aloud. And not only aloud, but loud. He says, The practice in her temple was to count out loud during Sishin, and I counted so enthusiastically that the glass of the windows rattled. (laughs) The children who were out playing near the zendo could hear each count, and they came up to the window and peered through the curtain at me. Then I was asked to count in a softer voice. (laughs) the zazen of even a beginner manifests the whole essential nature so we don't we don't have to literally do as as usao did future tangan um, but we can we can take encouragement from from um, the fact that even as a beginner you can you can just give yourself completely to the practice. And often we discover this. We we may have heard many times, become one with the pain, soften around the pain, um, unite with the pain. And it isn't until we're really, really suffering from some pretty extreme pain that we may actually follow the instruction. And when we do, then we may... Find ourselves beyond the pain, still maybe there, that sort are of in the periphery, but it doesn't bother us in the way that it has up to that point. And that happens when we we let go of our resistance. So that's what he I think he's he's um, celebrating here when he says, "I'm so so glad that I, I I followed the instructions," because he followed them to such a degree that. Um, he was able to, to do this sishin. Stick it out. The October sishin and the teachings about the Buddha way that I received from Soza Nagagasawa Roshi had a deep effect on me. It must have been around late October 1947 that I went to Hoshinji and was fortunate to be given an audience with the great master who was to become my teacher Daiun Sogaku Rodaishi um, Daiun and Sogaku are his dharma names and Shi is a title it, it literally means old great teacher so Roshi with a dai in the middle there for great Shi. and of course this is, this is Philip Kaplow's first teacher also He was tiny and very thin, but he had an enormous surging power. I openly talked to him about my problem, asking, I just can't live knowing that there were so many who had to die. What can I do in atonement? He told me that he understood my suffering, that I could come to be at peace, that there was a way to solve the problem of life and death at its root. He said, You, yourself, you are still alive, so you can forever and ever follow the path of giving. You can steadily, evermore, give your life to save others. Even with the death of this body, genuine life continues. There is something that does not die. True nature does not disperse like a mist, throwing... No, sorry, sorry... True nature does not disperse like a mist. Knowing true life, you can be at peace. If you really want to understand the meaning of life, true life, it will take all the determination and effort that you can possibly muster. You will not realize the truth if your aim is unclear and if your practice is weak. You must resolve to be absolute you must you must sorry you you, you res, your resolve must be absolute you must be prepared to persevere with single-minded conviction and effort if you can really commit yourself to seeking this truth to this one important thing then you can stay here but if you're not earnest and sincere if your commitment is lukewarm if you won't be able to make a complete whole commitment then you can go home now No doubt Roshi saw the potential in this young man that would come to him at such a point of extremity. The, the master's always um, pitch their, their, teaching to the person who is before them. And, um, Usawa was, was ripe, he was ready. When Dayan Roshi laid down these conditions, I vowed then and there to awaken to truth, to come to realize my true nature. I had no doubts. There was no question that I, wouldn't, that I would make that commitment. I already had resolved to give my life once in the war, so putting my life online wasn't a problem for me. When I heard his words, I was ready and willing to practise, and I answered from the bottom of my heart, I will give it my all to practise just as you show me. I will never forget the look in his eyes at that time, when he sta- stared right into me, this kid, still wet behind, still well behind in years, who knew nothing, as I vowed to follow his teaching. His eyes were small and black as coal. How they shone when he simply said, you may stay. The way is one. You follow this one way, this one practice. Don't allow your value, value judgments to enter into it. Be a pure white sheet of paper. Let go of everything. This is the only way. Be a, a pure white sheet of paper. What good fortune that I was able to still be alive, to hear his teaching, to receive his guidance. From then on, I did give it my all. Of course, my practice was still greedy, immature, far from perfect, but I practiced just as I was instructed. Each of us, if we're honest, will see that there is um, these, these... uh, defilements, these impure aspects to our practicing. And that's that's just that's fine because that's the way it is. We come to the practice suffering because of those defilements, and we're going to encounter them. They shouldn't be a cause for our discouragement, though, because we have the practice, and we if we follow the instructions, we don't know how long it will take, but if we if we are assiduous in our practice, then we're on the right path, and over time we can purify those defilements, pu- purify ourselves, become, as he says here, like a, a white sheet of paper. Doing each. Each one thing, this one thing, I poured my entire being into my practice. I hurled myself into Zazen without knowing anything about ordination or without even considering the possibility of becoming a monk myself. I simply tried to listen to the teachings and my teacher's instructions without adding my own ideas. In this way, I could hear his teachings with a deep familiarity and respect is to put one's trust in the in the in the teaching and the teacher. Then the Namemba Seshin came and I was given the Koan Mu. I think everybody uh, will be familiar with this, the the whole the whole case is. Um, a monk asks Joshu, does even a dog have the Buddha nature? And Joshu says, moo. Well, actually, that's what he says in, in Japanese. And in Chinese, it's woo. Negative particle. He has not. Why does Joshu say n- not when the Nirvana Sutra teaches that all beings have the Buddha nature? We, when we practice on this koan we boil it all down to this one word mu is the, the nub or essence of the, of the koan and we delve into that and this was the practice that uh, Tangan received at this point Dayo and Roshi told me give your life to this one mu till everything becomes mu do not give your energy to anything else. No matter what arises, neither grasp it nor reject it. Just be this one being. Do this, <clears throat> do this one doing. Stay centered in your tanden and just do Mu. Um, the tanden is the name for a um, kind of energy center in the lower abdomen sometimes also we hear hear the reference to hara which is um, the same kind of general area stay centered your heart in your tanden and just do moo i gave myself to moo during that first seshin i sat next to the president of a big candy company He had been working hard at his practice for 10 or 20 years, but his mind's eye was still not open. So he was pouring himself into it with a ferocity that was contagious. When the monitor would walk past him, he would invariably ask for the gasho and ask for the kiyosaku. So here they have the practice that we have outside of seshin, where you request the stick. And so this this man was always asking for it, and um, Tangan says that he would follow his guidance in receiving it, so whenever his his neighbour put up his hands to ask with a stick, um, Tangan would ask it f- for it too. He was a great example for me. How fiercely I was struck, and the atmosphere of the Zendo was electrifying. everything was one was so intensely devoted the power of the one the power of the group I hope I wasn't an obstacle to anybody in my enthusiasm but at that time the only thing on my mind was doing what Dion Roshi told me to do just staying with this one thing. A little comment here, a little bit about the stick. The, it, it was used very vigorously, and in, 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 in Hujinji, um, and that was what Philip Kaplow experienced when he um, w- went there for training. Um, his his first main teacher was this same uh Dayans, Sogaku Sogagu Roshi Rodaishi. Um, and when he when he came back to America he brought back this this very energetic use of the stick with him. Um, but then under under my teacher, Roshi called it, it changed um and became much much less frequently and not as as heavily used as hard used as as hard and it was at least in part because of what my teacher experienced when he went to st- train with Tanganroshi and Bukokuji when he when he went there I think it was about 19, 1985 um he discovered that this stick was used much more infrequently at, at Bukokaji and not as heavily. And so he he um, remarked about this to somebody and he was told um, that Tungan had said, and this is, I guess it's second hand, but it's makes sense. Um, This person who was relating it to my teacher, he said, when Dayan Roshi died, the training at Hoshinji fell apart. I realized that it was because the discipline was all from the outside. So now I think the discipline should come from the inside. I used to hit the monks terrifically hard with the kyosaku, but now I hit like a baby. when when we went to Bukkakuji, the stick wasn't wasn't used very much at all, and not um, not it wasn't any heavier than that I had experienced at when I first went to the the Rochester Zen Center. So it's this the stick is it's it's one of those things which uh, can be helpful and we can, can call it a kind of upai, or a skillful means. But it, um, it certainly doesn't help everybody, and there's no, there's no um, shame in asking not to be hit if it's not being helpful. It needs to be something that helps. Many people find that um, it helps in different ways. It helps to dispel drowsiness. Um, it can help break up tension that's in the shoulders, um, and if that that does help, and/or it can just spur us on. It's one put it, person put it, and I know who you, who um, found the, the stick helpful. He said it's like I can, I can use the energy of the stick to, to make an extra effort. Going to employ that that um, uh, shot of intense. Energy uh, in uh, bringing the, my practice to another level. For some people, though, the the act of being being struck is is um, not helpful. It can be a um, trigger unpleasant memories if one has been struck as a child or ex- experienced some kind of abuse or you if you just have a constitution which is highly sensitive and delicately tuned then the stick may just not it may be maybe too much of a blunt instrument to put it literally. So people should feel free to um, ask the the monitors for more stick, for less stick, for um, stronger, for lighter Uh, some people even just get touched lightly on the shoulders with the kiyosaku as a way of just being brought back to the present that's that's its main function is to to keep us in the present to actually physically kind of nail us to the present. Of course the present it keeps on um changing but um, it can it can be um, a lot of centers have actually stopped using the stink stick but um we would would lose a few things if we if we stopped using it also it it um Enlivens the atmosphere. The sound of the stick, even if you're not receiving it, you can employ the sound of it to um, help you stay focused. And dullness and drowsiness is one of the main things that plague meditators. And so the stick gives gives the the people running the 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 zendo uh, one sort of tool that they can use to. Um, Enliven the energy in the zendo. In the evening, we had a twenty-minute period in which we were allowed to do moo out loud. Now, again, you we had imagined the zendo with everybody counting loud. Now, with everybody mooing aloud, and and these these sessions at, at um, Hoshinji were big. There might be sixty or more people there. Uh, you can ma- imagine the the racket that this would would make, but a way a way of getting the the koan, getting the question into the body. Um, when we first started going to Rochester, the, this was a practice that happened on the last night of Sishin. Um and it was it, it was very very powerful. Um, we we did it for a while when we first started doing Sashins in New Zealand, but um, it. it when you have a zendo with only a few people doing doing the Khan mu, um, it, it doesn't really work. It needs it needs the power of of many people. So we um, haven't done it for a, quite a few years now. Um, but again, it's an it's a it's an energy release like like the stick. It can be um, it can be helpful in in grounding us and and getting us out of our heads and into our body. So, um, Tangan recounts this happening on one occasion, during the sishin. He says, how this 60-year-old man beside me burned, his entire being becoming Mu, this one Mu. I remember so well the intensity of his practice, how it touched me. Having just received the koan mu, I also was determined to give my life to it. I had, thought, had no thought of can I do this practice, or how do I do this practice, or am I doing this practice right. Rather, from the depths of my gut, I threw myself into this mu, only mu, and that very sesheen. Mu opened its door to me. Before we go on uh, with that thread, just um, just to point out here that this 60 year old man who'd been, he says, who'd been doing Zen for 10 or 20 years had not passed his koan, and yet he was a great encouragement and teacher even to his uh, next door neighbor in the Zendo. We, we don't know, you know, when something we do will be an inspiration to someone else. Um, but if we, if we all engage with as much sincerity as possible, then there's no doubt that we will contribute to the, the um, sitting of those around us. This happens all the time. It's why one of the reasons why we do group practice, because we can gain so much strength and give so much strength to others. So he says, Mu opened its door to me. Without calculation, I became one with Mu. Everything became Mu. The orioki bowls on the shelf before me became Mu, one with me. These are the little nested bowls that are used in a traditional um, formal meals in uh, Japanese monasteries. No matter what I saw or heard, it was just this one Mu. There was no other response, no other. Everything was Moo, Moo Mountain, Moo Ocean, Great Moo Skies, Tiny Moo Stone, Tiny ant, Moo Ant. There was nothing that was not Moo. And we can we can understand how these other experiences he had prior to coming to the monastery, laid the groundwork for this opening. When I took that Moo to in Roshi, he said to me, "So." Now your practice begins. How right he was. He cautioned me still more strictly. Not yet, not yet. Stay with it. Do not try to lay back and rest in your experience. Do not become complacent. Stay with this. Always new, always fresh. Carry on, carry through. If I became arrogant or complacent, he would not tolerate it. He would growl. the teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.